Hi everyone, my name is Ishan, and this is the Build Your Talent Stack podcast. I started my career feeling like I needed to fit in, and now I shape my own career opportunities. And together with the guests I feature on this podcast, we share how we challenge the status quo in how we learn, connect with an aligned tribe who gets us, and shape our own jobs. And in many cases, these are jobs that didn't exist before. Get ready to be inspired to explore creative ways to learn, future-proof your talent stack, and forge your own path in the future of work in a way that brings out your personality and your zone of genius. Hi everyone, it's Ishan here. Lately, I've been seeing a recurring theme popping up over and over again in the conversations that I'm having as well as articles that appear on my LinkedIn feed. And that is how enabling functions like finance, people, learning, data and technology need strategic partnering capabilities to deliver value for their stakeholders. Now, what does it mean to have strategic partnering capabilities? Joining me today to answer this question is Liz Heathwood, Global People Strategy Lead for Ernst & Young. In this episode, Liz shares her perspective on why strategic partnering capabilities are no longer a nice to have, her tips on how to write strategy and how to use storytelling to communicate value. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Liz. Welcome to the show. Where in the world are you and how did you start your day? Hi, Ishan. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so excited because I've been such a uh, longtime fan of your podcast. So it's super exciting to be on here. So thanks for having me. Uh, I am in Brisbane um, in Australia and uh, I'm in the granny flat of my house at the moment thanks to COVID so um, that's where I'm currently working from and normally I share an office with my husband but I've booted him out so I can talk to you Uh, and this morning I started my day with F45. I'm an F45 junkie and um, yeah got me got me going for the for the morning. (laughs) A a virtual F45 session? No no in person they're they're back to in person now so uh, good social distancing and lots of you know spraying things with um, for hygiene and stuff so yeah but yeah it's good. Wow fantastic (laughs) well could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. So um, I uh, currently work at EY, uh, otherwise known as Ernst & Young, which is a big four professional services firm. Um, a lot of people know big fours as accounting firms, but we are much more than that these days and have a massive service offering. Um, so I've been with them for uh, coming up on um, f- uh, five years now. Um, it's been such a cool ride. It's a great organization to work with and very exciting with the, the things that they do at EY. They've got about 300,000 people globally. So I started in a role with them in a, um, an Asia Pacific role. So I was the HR leader um, across Asia Pacific. Um, and that was a really interesting role because it was an acquisition. So dealing with a company you know, that they're acquiring um, and having a, an already internal EY culture and bringing those two together. And then me coming from external um, was, was, a, was very, very interesting and, and uh, complex. Um, so um, that, I did that role for a year and then I thought, you know, I, I wanted to move on from operational HR. I'd done it for a long time. 
and I really wanted to go into something more strategic. Um, so I um, got into this role, which is a strategy role, um, and I absolutely love it. I feel like I've found the role that I've meant to be been doing for the last 10 years. I absolutely love it. Uh, so it, it focuses, I work on um, the strategy and transactions part of EY um, and all of my team are, I'm the only one based in Australia, everyone else is overseas. So my um, boss is in London, another one in Chicago, other parts of the US and Germany and Greece. <clears throat> so it's a really diverse and interesting role and I work with people from lots of different countries and I, I love that about the role. Um, and it's just opened me up as well, um, have, you know, having been in this role for four years. We do things like... We want more women in corporate finance. How do we do that? You know, what's our strategy to do that? Or what are the skills we need for the future? How do we build capability? What's our recruitment strategy? What's our learning strategy? Um, at the moment, I've been working on an employee value proposition. So what does that look like for our people? How do we bring that to life? What are the tools that they need to do that? Um, you know, what's the messaging that we need to give our people globally to make that happen? Um, I'm also leading the, the Global Corporate Finance Woman of the Year competition that we run, um, which is a fantastic program for undergrad and master students. Um, and I'm also now developing our Strategy Woman of the Year competition. So that's a really cool initiative as well, um, which we hope to kick off in the next financial year. So that's sort of just to give you a flavor of some of the things that I do. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'm so humbled that someone of your experience <laughs> is a longtime listener of this show. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I've learned so much. It's been great. <laughs> well, I was looking through your LinkedIn um, to kind of get a picture of the your background and how you ended up um, in the role that you are now. Mm, mm. And I saw that you've made some interesting career pivots, Liz. <laughs> Yeah, and um, can you yes. take us through some of those pivotal moments in your career that have led sure. you to where you are today? Yeah, and um, it's funny at EY the word pivot now is like a red. It's a red card word because we oh, use is it? it? Oh, okay. We use it way too often. So no, it's it's funny. I, lo- I yeah, still love the word pivot. Jargons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we so pivot right. Yes, I started off life as a school teacher, and I I think I came out of school and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and this is where I think sometimes school lets you down a little bit in terms of I didn't want to be a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer. So they were like, well, what do you do with Liz? You know, and I could sing and I could act, and so people thought, oh well, she'll probably go off and. You know, I, I, want, I thought I wanted to be a famous actress and I realized that wasn't the case. Um, but I then thought, you know, my parents said, no, nope, you've got to get a degree uh, as parents do. And I thought, um, OK, well, I'll become a school teacher. I'll be a drama and music teacher. Um, and so I, I did that. I taught for four years in um, a, a, a really tough school in the western suburbs of um, Melbourne and it, it um, taught me a lot and I grew a lot from that and I think you know it's interesting all these pivots that you have is kind of these um, these experiences have really brought me to where I am today because if I think back on that role it really was the start of me writing strategy because the school had never had drama or music before and so it was about um, you know developing those skills to write that for 820 students that I was teaching um, but after four years, I, I was I was pretty bad, burnt out. I had nodules on my throat from singing and dancing all day, and so I was pretty pretty exhausted. And I thought, you know, what transferable skills have I got? Um, I thought I could. I'm organised. I can be a PA. So I became a personal assistant at Visi, which is a big packaging and recycling company. Um, and fortunately, again by coincidence, I was working next to the HR director for that particular part of the business, and he said, "Would you like to do some 
administrative work for me, you know, new starter paperwork and all those general HR admin things. Um, I said, yep, great. And six months into that, he said, look, I want to take you on full time. We'll, we'll, you know, you can go back to uni and do your postgraduate degree, which I did. Um, and they really threw me in the deep end. And I think, again, it's those opportunities that you get to just throw yourself in there and have a go at something and, and be prepared to fail, um, I think is important. So, uh, you know, they had me in EBA negotiations, you know, with big unions um, and coaching people on the Fair Work Act and all those um, fun things. But I think uh, Visi being a blue collar environment was quite reactionary. So I, I wanted to do something that was a bit more proactive in the HR space. Um, so I um, decided that I wanted to work more in professional services, um, you know, corporate law firm type environment. So I got my job at Clayton Newts. And I think, you know, reflecting on that moment was an interesting one too, um, because when I went for that job, I only had two years experience at the time and they wanted someone with four years. Um, and this is, I think, important to have people that advocate for you because um, I always tell people, go and see recruiters because they get to know you, they can sell you to a potential employer. Um, and also the branding piece that you do a lot of, Ishan, I think, you know, that's become more important for me now. I never realized the value of that um, in terms of people knowing you. So um, I walked in to the interview and my, uh, she became my boss and, and very great friend and mentor, um, said, I'm only meeting you because the recruiter told me to. Um, and uh, that, <laughs> that was, um, I was like, oh, okay, great way to start an interview. Uh, but, you know, I, I think through the experiences that I'd had, I was able to show her that I didn't need four years experience to do the job that she wanted me to do, that um, the experience that I had was, um, you know, very um, in line with what she needed for the role and I got the job there. Um, and I feel like it's, again, those experiences of the stakeholder management um, and it, being prepared to go that extra mile. And um, lawyers, I love working with lawyers because they really respect you for your area of expertise. And that's the relationship that I built with them is that business partnering, really them being, you know, I was their, the partner's wing woman, particularly when I was in the national HR manager role at Clayton Newts. Um, I worked for two different partners. Um, one's now a federal court judge and she was wonderful, very serious woman. And then I had a man who was, you know, really blokey and quite Aussie. Um, but it, and it's being able to, you know, have the skills to um, make sure that you're able to, to work with both of them. Um, and I loved it. And they did not make me a people decision without me there. Uh, and it was just building that great relationship with them that I enjoyed so, so much. Um, and then I had a baby uh, and thought, you know, I could go back to Clayton Newts and be comfortable and have a nice life or I could do so. I really wanted to work for professional services. So I went after that. And again, through a series of networking, that was how I got my opportunity um, at EY and the rest is history. Fantastic. Well, what I uh, took away from that thread um, in terms of your uh, how you um, moved from one career path to another. Obviously, people see something in you uh, and your potential, and that was more valuable than necessarily ticking every box in the job description. And so, I'm curious to know what is it that is something that people say that you do better than others? Oh, um, I think um, it's a tricky one. I'd say from previous roles. Probably that business partnering, um, being able to use my personality in different ways to um, adjust to different people is, I think, part of it. Um, but I probably more recently, I think, um, 
probably the creative side. Um, and I didn't realize how much that was a thing probably until I'd, I think at first I thought it was a fluke that, that I could bring creativity to what I was doing in the corporate world, but it wasn't. Um, but as I realized I did that more and more that I was like, Oh, actually, yeah, I am bringing something, a point of difference and something that people hadn't seen before. So that that's been a, um, probably something that, that the team relies upon me for is, is that ability to bring creativity to our strategy. Yeah, the, the reason why I um, wanted to start asking the guests these questions is because it's really hard to talk about ourselves. Um, yeah. And so I, I want to, you know, share how different people share, you know, their zone of genius so that other people can relate to that and go, I do that well too. And that's how, um, you know, Liz describes it. And, and that's me too. And so to get them thinking a little bit and, and own it a little bit more because I'm also curious to know did you ever find it challenging to accept those two examples as your strengths and really own it I yeah I think definitely because I think you doubt yourself a lot don't you in terms of like what you're good at it and acknowledging that and it's not in our culture I think too it's that tall poppy oh am I allowed to be good at something but what I guess what I've tried to do is use that for good and really um you know the, the, the um some of the other people in my team I try and um you know mentor them coach them on the areas that I, I do have strengths in so that they can build those particular skills um and you know I've got um people that I work with in Germany in the U.S. And it's, it's, you know, showing them how to build strategy, how to be creative and giving them those opportunities to then present that to leadership. Because I think you get, you do get to a point where my leader knows what I am capable of. And so now I feel like my job is to hand that baton on and help them to, you know, be able to shine and develop those skills. So that's, I guess I'm trying to, you know, you use it for good. Yeah. Liz, I'd like to read out the headline caption from one of your LinkedIn articles. It was about strategic partnering mm. and you wrote um, strategic capability, partnering with the business and shifting the role of HR from an operational capacity is now not a nice to have for the future of work, but a requirement. Unquote. Uh, now, I feel that you could say the same for so many other types of business partnering roles and not just HR. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what it means to have strategic partnering capabilities and why is it no longer a nice to have? Yeah, um, I think I was probably thinking about, Ishan, that um, – Automation is obviously fast-tracking the future of work. We know that. And, and so I feel like there's nowhere to hide, really. Um, and, and sometimes with the type of role I do or any of those supporting roles, it's easy to get caught up in operational tasks in the day-to-day. -day. We like to tick things off our list. We like to feel a sense of achievement at the end of the day. So um, my point around strategic business partnering is probably about how we elevate our roles because as automation comes into play or as we use... Um, the gig economy more or offshoring, we, we need to really, yes, yeah, step up the level of, of um, you know, that interaction with the business and the point of difference that we're providing or the strategic advice that we're providing um, our business or our clients. So um, it, it's really about um, becoming a subject matter expert and offering an opinion, um, not just saying yes to things, uh, but, but really um, partnering with them 
um, and providing that point of difference. So I think, um, you know, how do we move the business forward? How do we, how do you build your profile? How do you show that you've truly got those expertise rather than just being a really good order taker or someone that's really good at getting stuff done? That's what I would say. Absolutely. Um, all right. Now, obviously, strate- strategic partnering, um, strategy is your expertise. So let's dive into some how-tos. Mm. So Liz, where do I start in terms of how do I write a strategy? Sure. Um, okay. So I think the first thing I would say that I'm not talking about culture change here. I don't want any culture change experts listening to think, oh my gosh, this is nothing. To, it's nothing to do with culture. It's more about the business strategy that I'm talking to here. So just to make that clear, uh, I feel like that, um, you know, obviously you need to start with the big picture and that seems like an easy thing to say. And I'm sure listeners are thinking, well, of course, Liz, isn't that obvious? But I feel like the, the thing that people do with strategies, they go straight into task mode. Um, and that's actually, you know, not the right way. It's not about solving the problem up front. It's, you've got to go back and think about it. So it's, digging deeper, getting shared understanding with the leadership, Um, you know, and and I would say, um, obviously, this is me from the perspective of supporting the business, but it's the same for a leader or business owner that may be listening um, to follow the same process. So I tend to start with a PowerPoint document, may seem old school, but being a consulting organization, we do like PowerPoint. So I, um, you know, I want to get the structure sorted in my head first. And I'm a believer that leaders are busy people, so don't go into them with a blank page. Um, You know, you'll get 16 opinions, there'll be no focused discussion, people throwing things around, and you might come out more confused than you started with. So my view is go in, have a point of view, have have something to show them that they can then argue, pull apart, change, whatever they want to do, but at least you've got something to as a starting point. Um, And you can use collaboration tools. There's some great things like Mural or Teams, and I saw one the other day, Cumo space, which looked cool. Um, But usually I I like to keep it brief. So the first page would be around, this is the the purpose. You know, what is the purpose of this strategy? Why are we doing this? And how I get to that is I ask questions like, what do you want to achieve? Where do you want to get to? What do we want to look different from today? Um, So that's sort of, you know, three or four bullet points that I would have on that first page. Um, I then would go into the narrative. So, um, and, and I think it shouldn't be underestimated, the narrative. It's a really important piece. Often I find in my role, I get, um, I come up with a strategy and then I have all these people from all over the world saying, but Liz, you know, why are we doing this? What is the business purpose? How is this going to benefit the business? So having that story, how is, how are we going to change from A to B? Why are we introducing, you know, this concept? How does it connect to the business priorities? So making sure you've got that in your head because you need business sponsorship. You, you, you can have the best strategy in the world and it's not going to work without business sponsorship. Sponsorship. So I try and emotionally connect to that or at least you know show it in a way that makes commercial business sense. And that might be short boxes across the, back, the page that connect around you know, taking them through that story. And I make sure that I use their business jargon, you know, what are the terms that are important to them and how can we show that we are connecting that so it's compelling for them. Um, I, I then usually go into what's in it for the business because, you know, let's face it, we all like to look good. So what's going to make a leader look good? What's going to make their business more profitable and what's going to benefit their business? So the next page is those what's in it for me messages and tying in the commercial drivers 
And at that point, I normally bold words like, you know, this drives profitability, this engages your talent, this will make your, um, you know, whatever, you know, your customer strategy more client centric, those kind of words. Um, and it really drives, you know, how the strategy will then drive business success. It's really important. Um, and as part of that, I normally do a SWOT analysis because um, it just, for me, helps really draw out those things that bring to light, you know, what do we need to focus on so you can get ruthless about where are our opportunities and what are those things that we really want to focus on. So um, for people that are unfamiliar with SWOT, it stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Um, and usually it's in four boxes around the page. Um so before I go into the next section, Ishan, I just thought I'd check if you've got any questions um, at this point. I think it's the um, the collaboration to get up to that point because sometimes mm-hmm. you might feel like, okay, where do I get all these inputs from? Um, how yeah. do I know that I've um, captured all of the context and the landscape? Um, so do you uh, factor in some sort of a workshop process? in the lead up to that stage? Um, Yes, it depends on the strategy. Yes, I do. I usually would get together, um, you know, a group of leaders or I would get together the talent leaders in the first instance for those particular parts of the business um, and test it with them. So usually, um, you know, I might just come up with, I think it also helps just having a good understanding of the business um, and usually having a briefing at the start. So I would, I would never go into a strategy without having a briefing from them and understanding what it is that they would like to achieve. And then I sort of go away and try and come up with a point of view. Um, and then following this is where we would really start the you know inter- interaction around that collaboration piece. So um, it's, it's kind of a mix of you do some on your own, you then get some thoughts of the business, you go back, you keep iterating as you go. So it's a living, breathing document. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 fantastic. Yeah, um, I then usually um, think at this point is where I start to go. Okay, well, what are the themes that are coming out of this? You know, this is the purpose that the business want to achieve, um, and what are the? I think you need to break it down into manageable chunks because otherwise, if you have something that is so massive, the business will just find it overwhelming. So break it up, and you know, things like if you want to create awareness on a topic, or you want to build your brand, or you want to increase your market share. These are themes, you know, these are not, um, these are not the activities. This is how you're going to get to that purpose. Um, so then from there, that's where I really start, you know, rubber hits the road with the business around, okay, this is the strategy. What are the activities that you all want to come up with? So I would work with them on brainstorming a list of things of, you know, these are all the activities we could do. And it's usually a big shopping list of, of, of things. But then it's getting ruthless about, you know, and, and razor sharp around, okay, what are the two or three things under each of those headings where you really are going to make the most impact? Um, and that is, you know, really nailing that list down. Um, and from that, at that point too, we start to talk about who are the other people that need to be involved because you can't create strategy in a vacuum. You, you have to have um, stakeholders, you have to have people involved and other parts of the business contributing to make that strategy work and get people on board with really driving that strategy forward. So, you know, who from marketing and comms, from operations, from finance, um, you know, you might have an innovation team. Um, and then obviously talent is a big part of that too. Um, and once I've had all that input, I would then think about a timeline. Timeline, a comms plan, 
um, and then in, and engaging those functional stakeholders, so the finance and marketing, etc. Um, so, and then obviously, you know, you think about how you measure success. Um, so that's probably where, where I would get to, um, Ishan, in terms of the strategy part. Yeah, you've just um, triggered a, a flashback <laughs> on one of these consulting packs that come my way, not, not, not from your organisation. Um, but one thing that I have observed, it's, it's that with any strategy, it's also a, a, a choice around how we want to operate. And there's many different ways to achieve the outcome, isn't it? Yeah. How do you navigate the different ways of getting there? Yeah. How, how do you get the the stakeholders around you to decide which which model works for them? Um, because you know, I, there's so many ways where you can slice and dice the yeah, strategy. True. <laughs> That's, yeah. Yeah. Um, we, I think, what we've been doing lately that has worked quite well is running focus groups. So um, to really get input from the people in the business. So I think it's, there's a layer of obviously what leadership want, but at the end of the day. This is affecting the people on the ground. So from a talent perspective, we find that focus groups really hone in on what's important to our people. So we're, we're doing one at the moment on um, on experiences. So what do good experiences look like for our people in the business and how do we make that even better? Um, so then we can take the themes. The idea is we're running the focus groups. We're going to take the themes back to the leadership and then we're going to ask them and say, right, this is what they've identified. What do you want to do about this? Um, and, you know, and, and, and give them a list of these are the some of the things we could be doing. Because, again, as I mentioned, they're such busy people. They often don't have time to think about that. So I find they quite appreciate when I give them a few options and that sparks ideas for them. Um, and that's kind of the process that we go through. Or we use a design thinking approach. I love the design thinking concept. I think it works really well with, the you know, getting opinions of people, testing, iterating, that sort of process. Because... I think strategy is not perfect the first time you do it. You do need to iterate. You do need to learn from mistakes and say, oh, that didn't work. Let's think about this differently. So, And it's the follow-up. I think sometimes with strategy, I know when I've done it in the past, um, it, you do this big bang and it's really exciting, but then it's the follow-up after that. And how do you really embed that and make that part of the fabric of the business? That's the, that's the, you know, the trick in all this, I think, yeah. Let's say um, before you go live, like, you know, what sort of um, sniff test do you put? Let's sort of like, you know, apply that lens over it to make sure, yeah. okay, have we crossed off everything, at least for the current version anyway? How do we know whether, you know, we're ready to kind of launch it and um, to make sure? Because ultimately you mm. want to make sure you achieve the desired outcome. So what kind of, how do you yeah. sort of, because sometimes you can get carried away, right? Where you get in the middle and what about this? What about that? Definitely. How yeah. do you kind of bring it back together before you launch it? Yeah, we um, we test it with a lot of people. So, you know, being a big organization, we have to consult and consult widely. So sometimes that, that can be an awesome thing because you get new ideas, but it can also be quite a frustrating thing because... I find, oh my gosh, I've now got another 50 ideas. How do I sift through that? <laughs> so, yes. And it can be very overwhelming. So um, I think 
you know, it's, it's uh, being able to do that and do it concisely um, and consult, get the opinions of others. Um, we often use pilots, so we might test it with a, like this experiences project we're doing with one part of our business. So it's not, um, we're doing it globally, but it's not, um, it's not something that's in every section of the business. So I think that helps to contain it and then you can learn from your mistakes or if it's very successful, put it out wider. So that's kind of how we would go about that that process. Um, and doing toolkits and things like that for the business to really hopefully set them up to be successful is, is, is an important part of that too. Oh, it's good to know that even the strategy can have a pilot period. Thank you. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Sometimes you feel like it's the moment of truth and moment of judgment when, you know, when you put a strategy out there um but it's good to know that um that yeah you, you can iterate um and evolve that at logical points in the journey yeah. the point is to just to get it out it's <laughs> a, and, and that's the thing i think you know sometimes like people say oh we've been working on our strategy for a couple of years it's like well the time has passed the the you know everything's <laughs> moved on so for us it's working in an agile way to really you know um get it out there and iterate and i think you know with this um thing that we launched recently around the employee value proposition it was scary because yeah we launched it on the 1st of July as part of our new new year campaign and 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 it, it and you know our BMC people helped us with that um which is our branding marketing comms um and that was daunting but I think now it's interesting as we're, we're now starting phase two of that project and I'm iterating all the time the messaging that the messaging from the original purpose has really changed um as, as it's gone throughout the business and I'm getting further and further feedback, that's that's changing my thinking and how I then reflect that for phase two. Now, fast forward and mm. you're now telling the success story <laughs> yeah. of um, what your strategies managed to achieve. What tips can you share on how you communicate value that has been delivered as part of your strategy? Yeah, value. Um, I... It's... I think it depends on the part of the business that you're in because there there are parts where it's very easy to say for a sales part of the business, you know, these are our sales mm. targets. It's this many new customers. It's this many new leads. Um, so it's you. I feel like in those parts of the business, you, you can really quantify the success that you have had, you know, with a new customer strategy, for example. Um, talent's a bit of a different story. It's very hard to pin down the success you have had with helping build someone's career. Um, you know that that's very nebulous and and um, hard to to quantify. We do things like you know we measure. We've got a system called EY Badges, which is a learning program at our work, and you know how many people have completed a badge, for example. So we're seeing that they're engaging in our talent agenda. There's some metrics that we can use, or um, you know, with the initiative I'm working on at the moment, it's um, what comms channels, which comms channels have we used to get that out to the business. Um, or using sites that we've set up to look at how many people have visited the site or answered a survey. Um, but we really do use um, qualitative um, measures as well in terms of we like to showcase best practice. So um, some of my job would involve speaking to people around the business around how they're bringing that to life. And then I would work with our um, 
marketing and comms people to, to look at how we then tell that story. Um, and that's a really fun part. I love that because you get to be creative around how you present that to the business. And it could be through videos, it could be through newsletters, or you might have a site set up that you have their stories across the page. Um, but that I find is a it, it's motivating for people to see that. And, and that's often what people... Um, in my space say say to you know to us to our team is how do we bring it to life how do we make this real for people how do they use it so everything that we do is trying to um, bring that real element and give them examples of what it looks like so that that's a nice way to measure it so Liz let's say I'm one of the uh, guinea pigs that you've um, volunteered me signed me up to to (laughs) share my story on Mm -hmm. one of your videos Mm what and let's say I'm like oh, I don't know what to say yeah. how do I make sure that I'm t- you know um, extracting the story so that it, it brings your um, program to life how would you coach the storyteller yeah. the participant in, in what other kinds of things to to bring out in their their um, input into that story yeah there are a few ways um it depends on the you know personality of the person how open they are if they're shy or you know um so you know we can interview them um or we're into at the moment i'm really into like kind of the really casual a bit you know gen z millennial thing of you know holding up questions and people and they answer the question um so that's a nice way to unscripted yeah unscripted I, i just find it's much more I, I can't handle when leaders do messages and you can see them reading across the screen. Um, so I really love things that are unscripted and authentic. And I think it shows, it, it shines through more that, you know, that they're engaged about this. So I love doing that. Um, you know, and, and I think also um, tell them what you want them to focus on. So if, if it's like a, how have you built your brand, for example, um, I think that's a focus question and they, you know, or give us an anecdotal story that's something that helps them um, being able to not be as nervous or bring it to life is because they can relate it to a real life experience and they're not talking about it in a philosophical sense, I guess. I really love the idea of a pop-up question. So I'm going to steal that idea for um, the next opportunity I have to create another um, storytelling video. All right. Now, so what's the one thing that you'd like people to take away today on the topic of um, strategic partnering and um, really delivering value for the business, uh, taking a strategic approach to doing that? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, strategic partnering is not about saying yes to things. Um, it's really important that you develop a point of view and are not an order taker, you know, that I think challenging leadership in a respectful way um, to to think differently um, and, and that that's what I feel my is important in my role is in a strategic role you have to be ahead of in you know ahead of the game in terms of trying to be up with the latest trends making sure you're bringing the best to your people um, and whatever initiative or strategies you want to bring to life so um, you know showing that you've got that subject matter expertise uh, and being able to use that in a way to influence leadership and being really clear on the narrative so they don't get confused. They, they've got a clear direction. The, you know, They can then go and champion it in the business. It's got business sponsorship. So you can then get success and you've got buy-in and change actually happens. That's what I would say. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Liz. Where can people connect with you online? 
Sure. Uh, you can connect with me through LinkedIn. So, um, you know, through my name, type my name in LinkedIn. And I've also got um, an Instagram, which is just a fun side project called Corporate Mum Life. Uh, I'm a mum of two boys, so uh, I sort of show how I balance being, you know, full-time work and being a mum. And starting your day with F45. That's right. <laughs> All the fun in between that goes on with it. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much again, Liz. Thanks, Ishan. It's lovely to talk with you. Appreciate it. Thanks. That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you would leave a review on iTunes and let me know if this has helped you in any way in shaping your career goals. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can find me at Build Your Talent Stack.